Well, good morning. Good morning. Really glad that you are here. Thanks for joining us. Hey, we're outside. How's everybody doing? Really good to see you. We need to say, before we start, we need to say thank you to a whole bunch of people. Uh, there were a lot of people who uh, got up early and were extra tired uh, because of other things they had going on and showed up here bright and early to get everything set up for us. And we're so thankful to all of you who showed up. So let's show them a great big uh, thank you because it's really not all that easy to pull this, uh, pull this all together. And they did such a fantastic job and we are so thankful. I have a question for you. When you think about God, what picture do you have? So when you, when you think about God, what is the picture that you conceptualize when you think about him? Here's the thing. The way that we picture God is actually incredibly important to, uh, it really affects how we actually think about God. How do you picture God? When you think about God, is he, uh, is he the old guy with the gray beard and the red, uh, uh, the red crown in the clouds with the mouth that goes like, raw, 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 like the, the old Monty Python movie? Is that how you think about God? When you think about God, is it, is it Morgan Freeman in a white, white suit like the old Jim Carrey movie? Or maybe you're much more refined than that. Maybe you're not a movie person. Maybe when you think about God, you think in terms of great works of art with, you know, uh, maybe the Sistine Chapel and God reaching out and, and mankind just sort of gently reaching back. When you think about God, what picture do you have in your mind? Theologian J.I. Packer has this great quote, and this is what he says. He says, metal images are the consequence of mental images. Metal images are the consequence of mental images. Now, what he's talking about is when we make gods, when we make idols for ourselves, and he's talking about idols that are made out of wood or stone or metal, or maybe on Instagram. When we make idols for ourselves, the, the way that we picture God, it actually affects there, there's actually consequence to, to how, uh, of how God is to how we picture him. How do you picture God? Now put a pin in that for a second because we're going to come back to that. We are jumping into uh, where we left off last summer. We're jumping into tracking through the story of God's people, the story of the people of Israel through the Old Testament. And you might remember from previously, just to get us all caught up on, on the same page, that, that God rescued the people out of slavery in Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and, and he, with great power and, and many miracles, brought them out of the land of slavery. And he... He, he parted the Red Sea so that they were able to cross on dry land and he led them through the wilderness and there was nothing to eat for this great big people group. So he gave them this, uh, uh, this uh, miraculous bread called manna and he took them through the wilderness and brought them to eventually uh, the middle of the Sinai Peninsula brought them right to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, he called Moses up the mountain. Moses was the guy that, that God used to lead them out of slavery. He called Moses up the mountain and he gave them the Ten Commandments. And he called Moses up the mountain and he gave them different parts of the law, things about holidays and, and uh, how, what, how the priest should behave and all that kind of stuff. And, and then he called Moses up the mountain and no one, was, no one else was able to come in. And the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain. And you can maybe imagine being um, at the foot among the people, being at the foot of this mountain and seeing all this, like a consuming fire covering the tops of the mountain. 
And this is where we pick up the story in Exodus chapter 32. If you have a copy of God's word, which we, we always say it's so important to have your own copy of God's word even when we're outside, right? Exodus chapter 32 is where we are going to be. And as you're turning to Exodus 32, one of the prevailing themes that we saw all the way through this story is that no matter how good God is to the people, no matter how great, how much grace he shows them, no matter how gracious he is with them, they are completely unresponsive to him. Him. And God is so kind and they are so faithless. And God is so faithful and they are so faithless. And so let's pick up the story. Moses has been up on the top of the mountain for 40 days. That's more than a month. Now, on one hand, that's not very long. On the other hand, if you're waiting for Moses to come back down the mountain, that might seem like a long time. So Exodus chapter 32, starting in verse 1, here's what it says. It says, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us. Uh-oh. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So it didn't take very long. 40 days and God has shown them all this power and, and God has delivered them time and time again in 40 days and they're like, you know what? Aaron, we need some more gods. We need you to make some gods. Who was Aaron? Aaron was Moses' brother. He had been around from the beginning. The interesting thing about Aaron is that, that Moses, who God used to deliver the people, he actually had a speech impediment. He stuttered. And so Aaron was the guy who was up front. God worked through Moses, but Aaron was the upfront guy. Um, and they had already heard about the Ten Commandments. The first commandment, you might remember, is you will have no other gods. You'll have no other gods before me. And already, after 40 days, these people are like, well, I guess we need more gods. Let's look what happens in verse 2. Now, we think we can trust Aaron, right? Surely Aaron will say, guys, no, 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 repent. Verse 2, Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. And so all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they had handed him and he made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, now notice not Aaron, then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Okay, now a number of things we need to talk about here. First of all, we need to talk about Aaron. Aaron as a leader, again, he's the great upfront guy. He's the great, like he, he, he has no problem. He's uh, being in front of people. He's an excellent preacher. He's an excellent speaker. He has no problem rallying people around the cause, but he seems like a very conciliatory leader. In fact, I think Aaron would actually fit very well in today's culture. Aaron's the type of guy, I think, who would, uh, I think Aaron would be the pastor of a megachurch, if I'm completely honest. Now, don't hear me as taking shots at any particular churches or any particular people or pastors. I'm not, but, but he's displaying a, a particular uh, uh, a gift set, a particular gift set that is very good at rallying large groups of people together um, and bringing them forward. But he's not the guy who's going to call people to repent. So the people say, but we're going to see uh, later, probably next week, that, that it's not all the people, but some of the people say, we need these other gods. It's, it's obviously that the Lord was great to get us out of Egypt and get us to here, but clearly we need some other gods. Verse 
And Aaron says, bring me, bring me the gold that's hanging from your face. <laughs> he says, bring me all your gold. So they bring him his gold, their gold and he fashions it into a cow. First of all, we need to talk about this gold. These people were slaves in Egypt. Where did they get the gold from? Well, remember that when they were on their way out of the promised land, God had caused the Egyptian people to uh, look with favor on them. So they gave them much of their riches. And so when the, the uh, Israelites came out of the land of slavery, they came out taking the wealth of Egypt with them. They didn't work for it. They didn't earn it. They didn't deserve it. God had given it to them. And rather than thank God for it, rather than being thankful for it, what did they do? They turned around and made it into an idol. And boy, isn't there a lot of dotted lines that we can draw, draw back to ourselves? We live in so much wealth. We live with so much prosperity. Kings and queens of not that many years ago did not live with the abundance and wealth that the poorest among us live with. And what do we do? Do we thank the Lord for it? Too often we don't. Do we make idols out of it? Too often we do. Idols that drive real fast on four wheels or, or maybe a, a, a motor really fast down the river. I'm not saying any of those things are necessarily wrong, but we certainly can make idols out of what God has given us so graciously. So, so Aaron took this gold, he melted it down, and he used it to shape it, to, to fashion, to shape a, uh, an idol in the shape of a calf. What's up with the calf? Well, we need to talk about the calf for a minute. There was a, among the Egyptian pantheon, one of their gods was a bull. He was a bull god. And, and the thing with that god is that he was known for his strength. And so a bull or a calf was a picture of, of strength. The calf or the bull was a picture of strength. And I think what was happening here was that Aaron was going, okay, these people are asking for other gods. I'm going to make them an idol, and I'm going to make them an idol in the shape of a calf to remind them that, that this is Yahweh, and we need to worship Yahweh in his strength. Here's the problem. Anytime that we make an image of God, one of the reasons why the second commandment is don't make any image is, is of necessity. When we make an image of God, we emphasize certain parts of God's character and downplay others. So this idol that... that Aaron made, it was emphasizing the strength of God, but it was diminishing the goodness and the graciousness and the mercy and the justice of God. I think Aaron was really wanting these people to not turn away to a different God, so he made this, this calf in order for them to worship Yahweh in the calf, as unbelievable as it is. And it reminds us that we don't get to pick and choose what God is like. We don't get to pick and choose the God that we worship. God is God. We don't get to pick and choose what he is like. Well, if we don't get to pick and choose what God is like, how then do we know what God is like? Well, there's actually only two ways, two sources of information to know what God is like. The first one is revelation, and the second one is imagination. Revelation and imagination. Either God lets us know what he is like or we make it up as we go along. And this is why here at Blue Water, we are so big on studying the Bible because the Bible is God's self-revelation to us. We know what God is like. We, knew, we know who God is because he made himself known to us. We don't get to make it up as we go along. So, in the story, the people, 
want to rebel against the Lord. They say, we need new gods. Aaron, in his attempt, I think, to, to keep them worshiping Yahweh, says, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a calf. I'm going to remind you about God's strength, and you can worship the Lord. And then the people say, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up, up out of Egypt. And Herod says, wait a second, what do you mean these are your gods? Hold on, there's only one God. What happens? Let's look at verse 5. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So Aaron is like, whoa, this is going sideways. This isn't how I wanted this to go. So he builds an altar and says, tomorrow we're going to have a festival to the Lord. The Lord didn't, didn't prescribe this. The Lord didn't command this. Aaron's trying to cover his tracks. He's trying to appease everyone. Rather than calling people to repentance, what's the outcome of this going to be? So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Now, in the original language, there's actually a lot of uh, nuance and a lot of innuendo going on here. In, in, in the original language, in fact, there is enough innuendo going on here that, uh, that I, this is a family show. I can't talk about it this morning. It's that kind of innuendo if you, if you get what I'm saying. So the people got up. They sat down to eat. And by the way, what were they eating? They were eating manna. They were eating the manna that God had given them out of his grace. And then they got up and indulged in revelry, which is a euphemistic way of saying that they participated in uncontrolled sexual immorality, the type of immorality that was involved with uh, pagan worship at that time. And here we have Aaron, the spineless conciliatory leader, just refusing to call them to repentance. As I was thinking about this this week, I thought to myself, boy, doesn't everyone want a pastor exactly like Aaron? Isn't it tempting to want a pastor exactly like Aaron? The guy that can speak really well, he's awesome up front. The guy that, uh, that can, can get large groups of people going the same direction. The guy that cares so much about what you think that he definitely will not call you out on your sin or call you to repentance. Everybody wants a pastor like Aaron. Here's the problem. The first commandment teaches you will have no other gods before me. And I really think what was going on is that Aaron really, really wanted the people not to break the first commandment. But in doing so, he led them into breaking the second commandment. The second commandment is you will, have, you will not make a, a, an image. You're not going to make a graven image of God. And that's exactly what Aaron did. Back to our text, if you look at verse seven. And in verse seven, what we're gonna see is the scene suddenly shifts. If we're watching a movie, the movie would, the camera would cut away from what's going on with Aaron and the people down on the, the, uh, the plateau, and it, it, this, the camera's gonna shift up to uh, Moses and the Lord up on the mountain, verse seven. Because the Lord knows exactly what's going on down in the camp. Verse seven, then the Lord said to Moses, go down, because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt, notice, your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, they have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. 
They've bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses. They are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them and that I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your, your anger burn against your people? whom you brought up out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say it's with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised to them. It will be their inheritance forever. And then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Now, there's some things we need to point out from, from this. The first thing that I notice is that it kind of cracks me up that Moses and the Lord uh, kind of are treating this in a similar way to the way that Val and I would treat our kids when they were little and they were misbehaving. Do you guys ever do this? God's like, your people... The, your people that are, they are messing up so bad and, and Moses is like, no, 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 they're your people. Val and I would be like, did you see what your kids did? And the other one would say, no, 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 those kids are the direct result of the gene pool of your family, right? Have you been there? Now, if we're not careful, when we read these words, we might get an inaccurate view of God. Here's what I mean when I say that. It's possible if we're not careful to read these words and think and come away with the impression that God is the type of God who changes his mind. Now, here's the thing. We can read in many, many passages in the Bible. For example, Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, where it says that God is not a human that he should lie. He's not a human being that he should change his mind. So we know that God's not a God who changes his mind. So what's going on here? Because it sure looks like he is changing his mind. Well, here's the thing about God. Sometimes in the Bible, there's this thing. I'm going to teach you a big word. You ready for a big word? I know we're outside. I know it's sunny. Can, can I teach you a big word? Here's the big word. It's anthropomorphism. Say anthropomorphism. All right, six of you said that. That's enough. We'll keep going. Anthropomorphism is when the Bible attributes to God the, the characteristics of a human when God doesn't actually have those, but, but trying to communicate something in that. So the Bible says that the eyes of the Lord look to and fro on the earth, or talks about the strong right hand of the Lord. Or the Bible says in, in Psalms, it says that he will gather his people under the shelter of his wings. God's not a chicken. God doesn't have wings. God doesn't have a body. He doesn't have eyes. God's a spirit but it's trying to communicate something. And I think what's going on here is not that God's actually changing his mind. What's going on here is that God is trying to elicit a particular response from Moses. God is acting a certain way because he wants Moses to intercede for the people. He wants Moses to step up and say, and, and, and pray for his people and intercede for them. And so God acts in a certain way that causes Moses to do that. And I think he does the same thing with us sometimes too. Have you ever been in a situation where you find yourself saying to yourself, boy, it sure seems like God's taking his hand off the wheel. 
boy, it certainly, certainly seems like God is not coming through on his promises. Have you ever felt that? Well, God doesn't take his hand off the wheel. God doesn't step back from his promises. But it is incredibly possible that what he is doing is, to, is trying to elicit a response from you, namely, that he would cause you to turn to him in prayer. And so my advice is, when you find yourself in those situations, do you know what I think you should do? Pray. <laughs> Pray. Reach out to him. So I think that's exactly what's going on there. Okay, we got to keep going. Let's look at verse 15. Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. I've always wondered what God's penmanship was like. Imagine it's probably pretty good. Verse 17. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, so Joshua had gone partway up the mountain and Moses had sort of picked him up on his way back down. Joshua heard the noise and said to Moses, there's the sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, it's not the sound of victory. It's not the sound of defeat. It's the sound of singing that I hear. When Moses approached the camp, he saw the calf in the dancing and his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them into pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf the people had made and he burned it with fire and then he ground it to powder and he scattered it on the water and made the Israelites drink it. Aaron is the pastor that everybody wants but that we don't need. Moses is the pastor that nobody wants but that we all need. Moses was hard to listen to. He wasn't a great public speaker. He stuttered. Moses was a, a prophet. He was, he was hard to listen to. He was hard to be around. He knew exactly what he wanted and he had no problem telling it to you straight. Moses is the type of guy He's going to show you what he thinks about that idol. He's going to grind it up and make you drink it. And by the way, part of what's going on there is, is when you drink, uh, when they drank the, uh, uh, drank the, the ground up uh, calf idol, when bodily functions happened and, and it, it, the body uh, dispelled with it, that's, that's exactly what's going on here. That's why Moses made him drink it. And this is what Moses is saying. This is what I think of your idol. I don't know if you knew this, that... Uh, this is actually the first historical occurrence of coffee. Did you know that? Moses actually invented coffee. He took the grounds, he, he scattered it on the water, he put the grounds in the water and made the people drink it. And you, you know what kind of coffee it was that he made, right? Decaf. The calf. This whole sermon was a setup for that joke. So listen, we're going to have to put a pin in the story here. We're going to come back to it next week. And next week, the story gets crazy, absolutely crazy. You are definitely want to come back. Until then, I really want you to consider a couple things. First of all, what sort of pastor do you want? Do you want the kind of pastor who's like Aaron, who's easy to listen to and who, who cares so much about your feelings, he doesn't care about whether something's going to hurt you or not? Or do you want a pastor like Moses? A pastor like Moses who, who isn't afraid to tell you what is true, isn't afraid to speak the truth. The kind of pastor that will take your idol and grind it up and make you drink it. What kind of pastor do you want? What is it that I need to repent of? 
These are the questions we need to be asking ourselves. May we be those who don't just worship the one true God. May, may we be those who worship God the way that he wants to be worshipped, the way that he has told us he wants to be worshipped. And when we get off course and someone loves us enough to call us back, may we be quick to repent. May we turn. May we not be so immature that we kick against the goads, but rather may we repent and turn back to the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your great love for us. Thank you that you have put people in our lives to pastor us, to shepherd us, who, who love us enough to tell us the truth. Thank you for the truth that it says in Proverbs that wounds from a friend can be trusted, but it's an enemy that multiplies kisses. Thank you for the example of Moses, and I pray that you would help us to be that kind of friend to those around us. I pray that this week you would help us to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's to him that we give all glory, both now and forever. Amen. Friends, so good to see you. Thank you so much for being here. For those of you who it's your first time back in a long time because we're outside, special welcome to you. Glad that you are here. God bless you. You are loved.